Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig and today we are joined by Simon Court. And Simon is an Act List MP based in Auckland. I have it in front of me because he has so many portfolios. He's a spokesperson for infrastructure, for transport, for local government, for energy resources, for climate change and for the environment. Have I missed anything, Simon? I think that's probably enough for today, Oliver. Well, that's more portfolios than any politician I've ever interviewed, I believe. But we've invited you today specifically because you had a story covered in Business Desk a few days ago about the clean car scheme. And we've talked about this a lot on this podcast before, but I think it's probably still worth reminding our listeners what we're talking about. This is a scheme introduced by the government to encourage us all to buy Teslas or other EVs. Can you give us a bit of a background on that scheme? Yeah, certainly. There's three legs to this scheme. It's a scheme that the emissions reduction plan requires. And basically, it's $569 million to scrap cars that would have been scrapped anyway. Then there's additional funding for a clean car standard, which is to check whether vehicles coming across the border have low emissions. And if they don't, like utes, they get hit with the ute tax. So some people people pay a tax and the other ones get a subsidy. That's right. And so because the government hasn't been able to collect enough money yet from people being charged the ute tax, they're using taxpayer funds to subsidize wealthy people primarily to buy Teslas and other EVs. Now, that's so, a transitory thing the government says. Eventually, of course, the scheme will pay for itself, right? Well, either it's going to pay for itself, Oliver, it's going to run out of money. And the way this government's going with their track record, I'd say that they're going to run out of money unless they found a few more taxpayers to touch up. But that is not your beef with this scheme. At least it wasn't in the article I read last week. The problem with the scheme is more that it tries to save carbon emissions, but it does so at a ridiculous cost. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so the clean car scrappage scheme is has already been tried in other jurisdictions like U.S., what it does is it gives people who hand in a used car a wad of cash. In this case, the government set aside $569 million to pay up to $10,000, maybe even $12,000 for every used car that's hand in and qualifies under the scheme. Now, what we found was that when we asked Minister Michael Wood a written question, how much carbon will this reduce? He told us four and a half thousand tonnes. Well, we used a calculator and we worked out that at the current carbon price, $86 a tonne, that that's a complete waste of money because he's paying $126,000 a tonne to reduce carbon with the clean car scrappage scheme. We just said that's totally unacceptable. It's a waste of money. If he wanted to reduce carbon, he could simply work with the climate change minister to reduce the cap on New Zealand's total emissions under the emissions trading scheme. Great. We'll get to that argument a little bit later, but just to start with, we are destroying cars that are fully functional, that are on the roads, that have a warrant of fitness, and that could probably be driving for another few years because we've got a very old car fleet anyway in this country. So isn't that a massive waste of resources if you destroy perfectly functional cars anyway? Look, it's a massive waste of resources. It also pays $10,000 or so to people to scrap cars when, look, in my experience working in the waste industry, I used to go along to the car scrappage yards 
and they would be offering between $100 and $400 for every used car that came in for scrap. Somehow the government thinks it's going to save the planet and save a few less well-off people by paying them $10,000 for their end-of-life car. Now, these, as you pointed out, though, they're not end-of-life volatile. They may well have a useful life. What is likely to happen, as what happened in the US, is that relatively well-off people will find that their son or daughter's old car qualifies if they're a student, for example, or working in their first job. And people who don't need the money will qualify and get the $10,000 per vehicle. And of course, almost no carbon will be reduced as a result. Is there any evidence, by the way, that people are gaming the system so that they are only getting these cars in order to scrap them? Well, Oliver... I asked the Ministry of Transport officials at Environment Committee last week, how are they going with the scheme? And they said, well, they haven't even designed it yet. Oh. They don't know what the metrics will be, and they don't know how they'll measure success. Now, this was announced before the May budget. This is one of the flagship policies that Michael Wood and James Shaw announced was going to save the planet, or at least go some way towards meeting New Zealand's climate change targets. And in fact, it's, it's almost impossible to come up with a scheme um, that isn't a complete waste of money and waste of time. So I think the Ministry of Transport officials have got a very tough job on their hands. I wouldn't be surprised if we come around you know, six months time and ask them what they're doing if they've even managed a trial, because it's just it's just not a feasible project. Now, as you say, there have been similar schemes like this in the past in other countries. Mm. What I remember from these schemes is that typically the whole of life cycle analysis of the carbon emissions associated with cars, a lot of that is actually in the production of the cars, not so much in the running of these cars. So have they actually done any analysis of that? Look, I'm not aware of that, but that's a really good suggestion for me to ask a written question of the Minister, Oliver. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, life cycle analysis is typically absent from any of the policy proposals that we see coming out of Ministry for Environment or from the Climate Change Minister's portfolio. I mean, the Emissions Reduction Plan currently before the Environment Committee has over 300 bullet point actions or plans or things that we thought of in the night And yet there is no cost-benefit analysis as to whether these things will actually reduce emissions, no regulatory impact analysis as to what other things will be affected by these policies. For example, if the strategy to increase the carbon price, as the Climate Change Commissioner has suggested, up to over $200 a tonne in the next couple of years, that's going to result in the large-scale deindustrialization of New Zealand and the loss of tens of thousands of jobs. The government's talked about a just transition. Megan Woods goes on about it all the time. So does Michael Wood, the Minister of Transport. It would be completely unjust, unnecessary. It would be a strategic and economic suicide to proceed down that route. Now let's talk about the carbon emissions from these cars. And these cars are all supposed to be replaced with electric vehicles in the future. But if we're talking about a petrol-driven car, well... Typically, they emit between two and three tons of carbon dioxide per year if they're driven normally. You could buy that carbon on the ETS for about, say, two, three hundred dollars these days. So if you're paying $12,000 to scrap a, a car where you could actually offset the emissions for just two, three hundred dollars, that would suggest you would be able to drive these cars for a few decades until that's really worth it. 
Yeah, that's right. And of course, every motorist pays for their emissions under the emissions trading scheme. Indeed. Because, because they, they pay at the pump. It's about 20 cents a litre for petrol or diesel right now. Uh, you can go on the uh, MB website and download the weekly report. And New Zealanders are paying. I mean, of course, if you drive a heavy truck or you operate public transport fleet, you use diesel, you'll be paying you know, some in the region of 40 to 60, maybe even $100 every time you fill up your truck and trailer or your bus with diesel. So New Zealanders are already paying to mitigate their emissions. But the challenge we've got in New Zealand is that there's no relief valve for that. I mean, Minister James Shaw went off to Glasgow and announced a new carbon target, uh, which is so extreme that... The Ministry for Environment said, Minister, please don't announce this target. We've got no idea how we could achieve it. And we don't know how much it's going to cost, but it could cost so much that we bankrupt New Zealand. And in fact, in recent days, that figure has come out and it would be about $30 billion to buy the carbon credits at the expected price that New Zealand will need to buy because we simply can't reduce our emissions below a certain level. Otherwise, we'll stop making things here and then we'll have nothing to eat and nowhere to live. So look, this is where the climate change policies of the current government are taking us. It's unsustainable from an economic and an environmental point of view. But under the government's best assumptions, they are saving 4,500 tons at a cost of a bit more than half a billion dollars. And still, even that figure is misleading because, as you just said, all of this is covered under the emissions trading scheme anyway. So in, in actual fact we're not saving any ton of carbon dioxide, and therefore we're actually paying an infinite amount per ton of carbon dioxide not, not saved. Well, it's interesting you raised the concept of infinity. I asked the transport officials at Environment Committee last week, what is the maximum you'd be prepared to pay to reduce a ton of carbon? And they looked up at the ceilings as if they were seeking divine inspiration. And, and did it come? Worried. <laughs> no, it didn't come. And I'm actually worried that they were looking for infinity. There's, there's no amount that they wouldn't be prepared to pay. But actually, but it just... is infinity because it is covered under the cap. Yeah, well, well, that's right. But they do try and justify it as an equity issue to address the issue that comes up where people on low incomes or have few choices are forced with paying the full cost of their carbon emissions under the emissions trading scheme. And so what this government and their advisors are proposing, actually, that cash for clunkers is a way of transferring taxpayer money to offset this equity issue or this deprivation that people will suffer if they have to pay for their emissions, if they're putting diesel in the truck. But of course, if you live somewhere remote in New Zealand, if you live in the Hokianga, you live north of Kaitaia, you, you live in a rural area, the kind of technology battery cars or, or hydrogen utes, if you're a low-income person, you know, if, you, if you work on a farm and you're earning you know, a farm worker's wage, there's no way you're going to be able to afford to buy this EV ute or the hydrogen ute in, anytime soon. So really, there's no way to address the social equity issue except to say, look, if this emissions trading scheme is, is raising $1.5 billion a year in revenues because people are paying for their emissions, how about we give New Zealanders a carbon dividend? We give them a reward for the fact that they've paid for or reduced their emissions. And that would be around about $250 per person, man, woman, and child, maybe $750 to $1,000 per household. And that household could put that carbon dividend to their own household energy bills or to put towards paying off a heat pump, for example. That's a scheme that's worked in Canada. It's entrenched support 
for a market-based emissions reduction system, an emissions trading scheme. And ACT firmly believes that that's the best way for New Zealand, firstly, to reduce our emissions, putting a price on carbon, creating an incentive to reduce the exposure to that cost, and reward New Zealanders for their efforts to either reduce emissions or because they've paid for theirs. And that scheme sounds extremely good, not least because I think the industry first proposed it. And of course, we proposed it because we've got a Canadian-born chief economist who is very familiar with the Canadian scheme and thought it was such a good idea that he would like to introduce it here. So we're really excited to see ACT run with the idea. More generally speaking, though, when we're looking at schemes like this one, and we are saving carbon at a nominal cost of $126,000 a tonne, or probably even more if you're realistic, does that mean that in order to reach our net zero target and our net zero obligation under legislation now by 2050, we'll probably first go bankrupt before we reach any target? Yeah, that's quite right. The estimate that in order for New Zealand to meet the extraordinary target that James Shaw committed New Zealand to in Glasgow in 2021 to reduce our emissions by over half by 2030, what that means is if, if we can't reduce our gross emissions, in other words, turn off industries that make stuff and produce carbon dioxide in the process that is steel making, that's manufacturing glass or recycling the glass bottles that are collected from curbside recycling, for example, that's making pulp and paper, it's making fertilizer on shore using New Zealand natural gas at Kapuni. Either all of those emissions are reduced or eliminated within the next seven years and three months, or New Zealand gets a bill for $30 billion. James Shaw went to Glasgow and announced that against the advice of officials and without asking New Zealanders, if he announces it, are they prepared to pay it? Now, the ACT Party says, look, the Zero Carbon Act, which allows a minister to do those things, should go. We've said we'd scrap it in the first 100 days because... There is already a system, the emissions trading scheme, a market-based system, which creates those incentives, puts a price on carbon. The other thing we've said we'd do, Oliver, we think is important, is to provide a pressure relief valve. Because at the moment, those industries that make stuff here, they're energy intensive, they're exposed to international competition. Some of them get a free allocation of credits from the emissions trading scheme so that they can continue industrial production. Now, sooner or later, the free allocation will have to come to an end. Now, whether that's five years, 10 years, or by 2050, and that's to be determined. But of course, technology will catch up and play its part in reducing emissions from these industries. That's not something a government can legislate for. You know, technology takes time to mature, and New Zealand's unlikely to be a first mover. So look, what ACT would say is, look, these businesses that compete with offshore production, you know, cements imported to New Zealand from Japan, from Vietnam, a local cement manufacturer pays a carbon tax, their competitors don't. And what we would say, look, we think paying a price on carbon is important, but you should be able to mitigate your emissions offshore in any way that can be certified at the lowest cost to your business. I've got a private member's bill in the biscuit tin, which is drafted and which says just that. Look, an accredited scheme should be available to businesses who want to mitigate their emissions offshore, either by replanting a a, a forest in the Amazon or Borneo, where I'm heading in January to see for myself what environmental restoration looks like. Or they might want to invest in carbon sequestration, as they're doing on the Gorgon gas project in Western Australia, where they've sequestered over 7 million tonnes of carbon as it's come out of the gas field in the last year. All of these things should be available to New Zealand business, and New Zealand consumers shouldn't be punished with excessive taxes 
and having to suffer under crazy schemes like the clean car scrappage scheme. Your economic logic is impeccable, and I say that not just because we have argued along the same lines, but also because we have the bulk of evidence behind us. So we have international bodies like the IPCC saying the same as, as us. We have bodies from the UK government and from the German government actually saying the same, that if you have an ETS, you shouldn't actually do anything else and you should actually make it work. And we now also have a survey conducted by the New Zealand Association of Economists where their members were asked about the ETS and completely agreed with that position. So you, with your position, with your party's position, with our position, we are totally in the mainstream of the economics profession. But what response did you get when you argued that point in the committee? Well, they just keep coming back to the social equity issue that some people can afford to pay for their emissions and some can't. And by the um, way, on that one, we asked as well in the economic survey and economists in New Zealand were asked, well, with these equity issues, don't you think a carbon dividend would actually make a difference? And again, a, I think about it was a two thirds or th three quarters majority of New Zealand economists agree with that. And they say, no, this is the way you deal with that. You don't do any non-ETS measures. You actually try to compensate with a carbon dividend. So you've got the bulk of the economics profession right behind you there. Yeah, and what we're up against, Oliver, and I certainly do appreciate that the New Zealand Initiative is one of the most fertile grounds of conventional economic thought, particularly with the focus on good social outcomes. And that's why you know, we look to some of your publications to guide us on what best practice should look like in addressing some of these issues. So I do want to acknowledge that. But you asked about what was the response of officials. I mean, we had the Climate Change Commission's CEO, Joe Hendy, appear at Environment Committee yesterday, Thursday, 29th of September. And you know, I, I asked about just that question. You know, there's this risk of deindustrialization if you insist on removing the free allocation of these credits to these trade-exposed energy-intensive industries, and would you consider an offshore scheme? Well, they blathered on about how, you know, the government's working with other countries in the UN and Article 6 and all this stuff. But look, we know that businesses enter into business-to-business -business agreements, you know, trade agreements, you know. Kiwi businesses import stuff from overseas and pay people to do it. You know, they've got customs agents. They've got all kinds of people checking quality control in other countries before stuff gets here. I work for a contractor that ordered a bridge from China that's now sitting at Market Road on State Highway 1, a pedestrian footbridge that you can use to get across the Southern Motorway in Auckland. That thing arrived, and guess what? It was perfect, and we installed it, and it fit right on the brackets that we had built for it. Now, if we can do that with bits of construction kit, there's no reason why we couldn't work on a scheme where we certify emissions reductions or carbon storage, carbon capture and storage offshore. But unfortunately, the CEO of the Climate Change Commission said that was all quite difficult, it would take years to work out. And, and when it comes to deindustrialization, and you know, what do you do about these businesses that make stuff and generate carbon dioxide as part of their industrial process, not just because they use gas for energy or coal for energy, it's part of the chemical reaction that produces CO2. And the response was, well, uh, we're on a transition to net zero. And um, you know, that's part of the transition. So they fully acknowledge that uh, deindustrialization, the loss of productive industries, the loss of manufacturing jobs, which are mostly high paid. I mean, if you compare what people get paid in Taranaki who work around the energy industry 
You know, the average wage is around $86,000 a year. Compare that to a place like Kaitaia, where the average income is, is around $40,000 a year. That tells you how important these industries are to New Zealand. Well, thank you very much for highlighting all of these issues. I can tell you actually from just observing how the energy transition in Germany has paid out, these are really important issues. And if you let them run in the wrong direction for too long, you might actually see blackouts, you might see spiraling energy prices, and you might see deindustrialization. So I hope that New Zealand is spared that fate, just comparing with what's happening in some European countries. So thank you, Simon for highlighting these issues. Thank you for bringing it to our attention and good luck for your future campaign. Thank you, Oliver, and thank you for the great work that the New Zealand Initiative does. Thank you. 